Well, good afternoon, folks. Thanks for joining us. Um, what we're going to do uh, this afternoon is actually do a little bit of review from uh, Sunday's uh, sermon. So uh, over the last so many weeks, we've touched on some spiritual disciplines, silence and solitude. We've touched on um, some of the text from Psalm 16, uh, much of which has to do with the discipline of setting the Lord before us. Um, and, and so uh, this afternoon, I just want, I just felt like the Lord, I, I, I had some other things lined up and just felt like the Lord was saying, no, just, just slow down a little bit and take some time to freshly marvel at Jesus. So a little bit lighter in terms of content, uh, but we looked at four particular points from the sermon on Sunday, just considering just who Jesus is, how he relates to us. And so we're going to kind of recap that a little bit. And uh, Lord willing, it'll be an encouragement to, to you guys. Uh, if you see in the back here, we got a, we got a new design instead of uh, the Christmas design. So thank you, Susie Foster, and any of the other girls that were involved with that. Appreciate the artwork, and, and particularly um, just how, man, artwork glorifies God. Uh, that's a, it's an act of worship when it comes down to it, so it, it's sweet to be able to uh, have something beautiful behind us, ultimately declaring the glory of God. So thank you for your, your gifts and your use of the gifts for us. All right, well, here's what I'm a, we don't typically do this, but I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to read uh, the story of Zacchaeus again and just touch on four particular points, again, so that our hearts might kind of like freshly marvel at just who Jesus is. So let's pray and we'll jump into it. God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that, uh, Spirit of God, that you attend your word in such a way that you would desire to shine the light on, on Jesus. Um, God, we, we, we confess to you this morning, this afternoon, that we are in need of seeing Jesus uh, freshly. We, we're, we're in need of just putting our gaze upon him, like Psalm 16 said, to, to set him before us. Um, so, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move wherever we're at in, in the situations, in the busyness of the day, in, in the stillness, perhaps, of for some, just kind of getting away from uh, the noise and leaning into you in these moments. God, we pray that Jesus would be placed before us uh, in his beauty, in his glory. And Spirit of God, I pray that it wouldn't just be something that we know, but something that we can experience um, of the goodness, of the wonder, the wonder of Jesus. Um, so would you work in that way? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so on Sunday, uh, we looked at how God does the impossible, how he makes uh, the impossible possible. And so the story of Zacchaeus is just that. The, the author is, uh, is Luke. Luke is writing this narrative, recording some of the things that have taken place in the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke is now sending uh, this content, the stuff that he's recorded, to this guy named Theophilus. And ultimately, what he's doing is stirring faith in, in Theophilus' own heart for who Jesus is and, and what he's about. So in some sense, all that is written here in the Gospel of Luke is intended to kind of get our gaze on, on Jesus. And specifically then within the story of Zacchaeus, 
we're, we're intended to see that Jesus is the one who can do the impossible in us. So on Sunday, you know, we, we're going through a series on addiction, and addiction oftentimes seems like the impossible thing to see changed. Um, and, and so we looked at, hey, when it comes to the impossible, Jesus is the one who can ultimately uh, make possible the impossible. And so we see it from the story of Zacchaeus. If you're not familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a, is a, is a short man, uh, which the text says, but he's also a chief tax collector and he's very rich. The, the, the language that Luke uses there is intended to tell us that like Zacchaeus was the guy who was the most unlikely candidate to see his heart and life transformed. He was the worst of the worst. He was a tax collector. He betrayed his own people in order to establish his own wealth. He was power hungry and was willing to manipulate his own people to establish his power over them. So he, he was a rough, backward, difficult man. And so from kind of the, the society's perspective of Zacchaeus, he's the worst of the worst. He's, he's the guy who's so far gone. And even throughout the Gospel of Luke, we see the same thing. Whenever you see tax collectors mentioned, they're always clumped together with the worst of the worst sinners. And so Zacchaeus is the worst of the worst. He's the broken of the most broken. Uh, and he's very rich. The previous chapter, Jesus encounters the rich young ruler and Jesus will say, uh, it's almost impossible, right, for a, a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's similar to a camel passing through the eye of a needle. The eye of a needle was the smaller door in the bigger gate of the city. In the evening time, they would shut the gates, and so any travelers who came in after that time had, the, had to use the smaller gate or the eye of the needle. And to get a camel through that door was practically impossible. Uh, they had to get the camel down on all fours and then kind of drag it through uh, the door. Jesus is simply saying it is practically impossible to see a rich man come into the kingdom of God. But then Jesus says, but what is impossible with man is made possible with God. And then, and then just, to, like, just the chapter later, here we see another rich man, Zacchaeus. Again, the whole point is to, to show the fact that like, Zacchaeus is the stereotypical guy who would be the impossible. He, he's a tax collector, he's the worst of the worst, and he's very rich. Like, can this man ever see change? Uh, and the fact of the matter is like the whole little blip of this interaction between Zacchaeus and, and Jesus is to prove that yes, Jesus alone can do the impossible for us. So there's, there's four particular things about Jesus that we pick up from this story that are, it's just worth like warming our hearts by these truths. Uh, because in, in some sense, we should see ourselves in Zacchaeus. Um, Zacchaeus is, is the worst of the worst, so to speak, but if we'd really take an inventory of our own hearts and lives, we couldn't help but see our own impossibilities for change and recognize that, oh, this, this is the Jesus who can do the impossible in us. Um, so, so the first point, the first kind of truth that we should warm our hearts by, freshly marvel at Jesus with, is that Jesus sees us as we are, and he actually comes after us. 
You know, Jesus, as, as uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 talks about, Jesus enters Jericho, where Zacchaeus is. And, and, and we come to find out that Jesus is ultimately heading to Jerusalem, but he's stopping off. It's kind of like a pit stop. It's like, what is Jesus doing in these moments? But there's intentionality to what Jesus is doing. Jesus is actually intentionally coming after Zacchaeus. There's a whole crowd around him, you know, eager to gain Jesus' attention. And yet there's one man that Jesus is coming for in that particular crowd. He's, he's coming after uh, Zacchaeus. And, 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 Jesus, Jesus knows that Zacchaeus is, you know, culturally the worst of the worst, the, the impossible. And, and yet, knowing all that um, Zacchaeus is, you know, it's, it's that Jesus calls out Zacchaeus by name. So it's, it's, it's that Jesus is intentionally taking a pit stop. He's intentionally taking a pit stop to reach out to a single man, a single man who actually understands all the junk and mess of this guy's heart and life, and he's willing to come after him, and he calls him by name. This is who Jesus is. He sees us as we are in all of our Zacchaeus-likeness, right? And he comes after us. This is the whole gospel, right? Jesus' incarnation. It's that Jesus came, took on flesh. Why? To come after us. Uh, from the beginning of the Bible, how do, how do we see this Yahweh God? Well, we, we, we see Genesis 3, we see the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 6, we see another version of that fall still in Genesis chapter 11, we see um, the Tower of Babel, another fall, and, 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 and then we begin to see the story change, Genesis chapter 11 and into 12, it's the story of Abraham. Well, Abraham's not looking for God. God's coming after Abraham. God's the one on the move. He's like the first mover. He's coming after the broken. And so God sees us as we are in all of our brokenness and all of our fallenness and all of our impossibilities. And what does he do again and again? It's the storyline of the Bible. It's expressly the character of Jesus. He comes after us. And, and so we see this even throughout the Gospel of Luke again and again, where Jesus announces his earthly ministry in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where he talks about that he's come to set the captives free. He's, he's come to, to heal the brokenhearted. He's come to give sight to, to the blind. Like, and, and those have physical aspects in which he's coming and he's healing and he's bringing the kingdom, but uh, it also has spiritual aspects to it, that he's coming to do the impossible in us. So this is who our Jesus is, right? He, he sees us as we are in all of our brokenness, and he's, he comes after us. Any thoughts on that particular? That's a good point, though. All right. Point. So then secondly, um, we also saw that Jesus sees us as we are, and, and this is so important, um, He's not appalled, right? He, he's not standing back. He, he, he knows all the ins and outs of Zacchaeus' heart and life. He knows that Zacchaeus has caused his own people, the Jewish people, a lot of pain, right? He's, he's betrayed his own people. He's exploited them for the sake of his own wealth, his own sense of power and significance. And so he's a bad dude. And, and yet, Jesus is 
is not appalled. He, he, he's not like keeping this guy at, at a distance. It's not as though Jesus is coming in with some sort of sense of self-righteousness, of, of like spiritual eliteness. He's actually like meeting Zacchaeus like on his own, on, on his own level. It's, he, he's coming to Zacchaeus and he's not appalled. In, in the story of Zacchaeus, we recognize that as, as Jesus calls Zacchaeus's name out, it's the, it's the crowd that then begins to grumble. Uh, they're grumbling at the fact that Jesus has come into town and he's actually focusing in on the worst of the worst, Zacchaeus, and wanting to spend time with Zacchaeus. The, the crowd is appalled. Like they're, they're saying, how, how can you want to be with this kind of guy? This kind of guy is, is, is backwards. He's caused us all the pain. He's the one who's uh, kind of brought injustice upon us as, as a people. He, he's the guy, if you want to talk about, who, who, who is imposing systemic injustice upon this Jewish people. And it's that guy that Jesus says, I'm not pushing away, I'm gonna come after him. I'm, gonna, I'm not appalled by him, I'm gonna come to him and, and meet him in his brokenness. Again, when it comes down to it, this is what Jesus does for us. He, he sees us in our shame, he sees all the wrongs that we've done, he sees us in our brokenness, he sees us in our fears, he sees us in, in the worst of the worst of our pride. Uh, where we're willing to step on the back of others, where we're willing to backstab others, where we're willing to twist truth for our own sense of power and significance. Jesus sees all of that. He sees all the injustice in our own hearts and lives, and he's not appalled. He comes after us. He leans into us. He's the one who wants to actually do the impossible in us, you know. And, and, and so, Again, looking at other stories in the Gospel of Luke, my favorite story in the Gospel of Luke is from Luke chapter 7, where Jesus is hanging out with some of the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day. You know, these guys think that they're, that they're good, right? They, they think that they're on the opposite end of the spectrum of Zacchaeus, right? So they're, they're the religious elite. They're doing the right things in life, you know? And so they assume, well, Jesus is hanging out with them because of their goodness. You know, it's to say, hey, we're pretty good. Jesus is hanging with us. You know, he, he approves of us. And, and, and so the idea then in, in Luke chapter 7 is that a woman of a city comes in to the home of this gathering. And, of course, all the religious, self-righteous guys there are, are completely just kind of, you know, offended by the fact that this woman of the city, which in that term is referring to a prostitute, uh, that she would come in and actually then begin to, in, in a sense, worship at the feet of Jesus. That they're appalled by this, this moment of this unclean woman, this, this woman of the city who's coming in and worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, this is the beauty of it. Again, while they're offended, while they're appalled, he's not appalled. He sees her in her shame, he sees her in her sin, and he's at, he invites her worship. He, he invites her to come near to him, um, which is astounding, right? He sees us as we are, and he's, he's not 
appalled. He actually then, of course, like stands up for her and actually in some sense like declares her forgiven and declares her righteous. In other words, he's declaring that her shame has been covered and that her brokenness and her sin has been fully and finally done away with. And so Jesus defends her. He's not appalled by her, but it eventually ends up defending her. It's incredible. This is who Jesus is. He sees us in all of our brokenness. He sees us in our shame, and he's not appalled by us. You know, it's the same story um, when it comes to the Good Samaritan. Uh, You know, it's what what is it really to love our our neighbor? And so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And of course, you you, you watch the priest and, and the scribe, and, and they're, they're seeing the guy who's, who's in need, and what are they doing? They're jumping to the other side and walking past him. Why? Because, well, they don't want anything to do uh, with this guy. But then this Samaritan guy shows up, and what is he? Well, he takes care of this guy who's been beaten up, and um, he, he, he gives the money that's necessary and the supplies that are necessary in order to see this this, this guy healed, and when it comes down to it, um, it demonstrates the injustice of our own hearts and lives, but ultimately, it demonstrates who Jesus is. He is the one who comes near to the broken. He's not appalled by us. He's not trying to get around us. He actually came for us, and so the Good Samaritan, that story, obviously, is first and foremost a story about the heart of Jesus and how we are to live accordingly to Christ's own heart. But the point being, Jesus sees us in all of our brokenness, uh, and he's not, he's not appalled. It doesn't mean that he's affirming our, our sin. He's not, he's not affirming the wrongs that we've done, but he's willing to step in to the brokenness and into the, the sin of our lives. So, what a, what a Savior. All right, so then the third point in this story of Zacchaeus. So, once again, Jesus sees us as we are, and he comes after us, right? He came to Jericho for Zacchaeus. He sees us as we are, and he's not appalled by us, while the crowd grumbles at the fact that Jesus is drawing near to uh, Zacchaeus. Jesus is not appalled like the crowd is appalled. Um, And then, Jesus sees us as we are, and he's willing to go the distance for us. Um, if you notice in um, Luke chapter 19, verse 1, he, he goes to Jericho, but the text is so detailed in the fact that he, he's not in, Jesus is not intending to stay in Jericho. He, he's got Zacchaeus, who he's going to come to. He's going to call out by name. He knows Zacchaeus by name. He knows all his, his failings, but he's not going to stay in Jericho. What is he going to do? He's going to continue to go the distance and where is he going to go? Ultimately, he's going to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem? Well, he's going to set his face to go to that cross, to lay down his life, to pay for the, the punishment of sins, and ultimately to overcome it all in his resurrection. So when it comes down to it, Jesus is intending to go to Jerusalem to ultimately secure for Zacchaeus the impossible, right? That his sins would be forgiven, that his shame would be covered, that he would actually be able to have a relationship with God. Jesus is the one who says, I'm going to go the distance for you. I've seen you in all your brokenness. I've seen you in your sin. I've seen you in your shame. And I'm, I'm, 
I'm going to carry that to the cross. So you wouldn't have to pay for it. I'll pay for it so that you can freely know my grace, so that you can freely have relationship with me, so that you can freely have life and life everlasting, right? This is the gospel, that Jesus is willing to go the distance for us. You you think about Jesus' life and ministry, the ups and downs of it all, all of that was suffered uh, for the sake of eventually getting to the cross where ultimately he could deal with sin and ensure that in his death and resurrection that the impossible might be possible uh, for us. So that's what Jesus does, right? He comes to us, he's not appalled by us, but then he ultimately goes the distance for us, lays down his life uh, on our behalf, right? And, and this, this is the, the, the idea of like, um, you know, where, where Luke 15 uh, comes into play, where you have these illustrations that Jesus himself uses about a lost coin, you know, and, and a lost sheep, and of course then the prodigal son. These, these stories that speak of something that's, that's lost, but what takes place? Well, the woman seeks the coin, and she goes through all that she needs to do in order to find it. She goes the distance to find the coin. It's the same thing with the lost sheep. It's leaving the 99, going the distance to find, to find the one, right? So it, it, it's that which Jesus demonstrates in going to the cross. Jesus goes the distance, so to speak, to accomplish for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves, to give us life everlasting, to give us relationship uh, with the Father. This is who Jesus is. And I hope you're picking up on some of the, the emphasis here, that oftentimes we think that our, our sin and our shame is the very thing that, that would separate us from, from Jesus. And, and in theologically, in a sense, yes, that's the stuff that has broken our relationship with God. It's, it's put us at a distance from him. And yet it's Jesus who intends to push his way through all that stuff to actually gain for us what we could never gain for ourselves, to deal with our sin, to deal with our shame so we could have relationship with him. He goes the distance uh, on our behalf. And then finally, the fourth point, is that Jesus sees us as we are, oh man, but he never intends to leave us the same, right? So he sees us as we are, he, he, he comes after us, he's not appalled, he's willing to go the distance, but then he, he never leaves us the same. You know, when it came to Zacchaeus, you know, here, here's a guy who, you know, you're, you're reading through kind of in between the lines of the story. Here's a a short man uh, who inevitably is striving for for power and for significance. Uh, So you're you're taking the clues of the text and you're putting it together. Here's this guy who who perhaps has lived in some sense of, of shame. He's been put down for perhaps his smallness. Um, and, and, and his heart now hungers, his heart is, is striving to satisfy the shame that he is, he is felt. Uh, he, he's striving to meet the needs of his heart, some sort of sense of 
of meaning and significance and security in this life, right? And so he's been put down, probably, you know, shamed by his own people, and, and his heart is still hungering for that which all of our hearts hunger for, is that meaning, that significance, that security. And so what does Zacchaeus do? Well, he, he says, well, I, I can turn on my people and actually gain a status and authority over them. And that's what he does. He becomes a tax collector. And, and that authority over them gains him a status of, of power, right? So now he stands over his people in some way and, and almost in some, in some sense is, 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 is taking kind of the, the role of being the avenger, perhaps where he has been wrong, made fun of. Now he's going and saying, all right, I'll, I'm going to show you. So he becomes a tax collector, exploits his own people for the sake of his own status and significance. Now, when Jesus steps on the scene, we see something of a radical change. And we don't know the, the details of it all. I'd love to have been at Zacchaeus' house when Jesus is sitting down with him and interacting with him. For, for Jesus to have said, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house, uh, was, was literally for Jesus to say, like, I, I want to have table fellowship with you, which is not just like having a coffee together, catching up with an old friend. It's the idea of like, Jesus is literally saying, Zacchaeus, I want to share in your life. Will you open the door to me? Will you open the door of your house? Will you open the door of your heart to me? Will you really invite me in to the needs of your own your own heart? Will you really let me in to your strivings for power, for, for all the injustice and the wrongs that have been done to you, but also the wrongs that you've done to others? Will you let me into that? That's what Jesus is literally asking Zacchaeus. I want to come to your house. Can I come into your life? Can I come into the, the needs of your own heart? And of course, as that takes place, you see something of radical change, a, a heart overhaul in some sense, where Zacchaeus comes out of that encounter just a, a changed man, because what, what do we see of him? Well, he, he's calling Jesus Lord, right? So here, here's the guy who is striving for power and status and significance, and now what is he doing? We, we find that he, he now is, is kind of submitting himself to the lordship of another, uh, that term Lord is also translated master. So he's, he's looking to Jesus as the one who now he's taken his cues from, right? So where, where Zacchaeus was, was striving to gain power for himself at the expense of Jesus, now we see something of a, a dynamic change where Zacchaeus is now surrendering to the will of another, which is incredible. Um, so we see Zacchaeus call Jesus Lord, but then we see that Jesus, or, uh, Zacchaeus gives half of his wealth to the poor. Now, uh, when, you, when it comes down to it, that wealth that Zacchaeus would have established would have, would have not just been, you know, for you and me, it's like, well, he had extra stuff sitting around, you know, he had extra finances that he could actually, like, it's not going to in, inconvenient Zacchaeus to just take half of what he had and give it away. He was a very wealthy man. So taking half of his stuff, what's the big deal? He still is going to be okay. But the point of the matter is, is this was a man who placed his, his sense of significance in his wealth. Like, like, think about the things in your life 
that, that give you that sense of meaning and worth in life. Now think about chopping that in half and saying, yeah, I'm gonna intentionally like crucify the thing that is giving me significance and meaning in life in order that I might actually find it somewhere else, namely in Jesus. Like, it's not necessarily about the wealth. It's what the wealth represents in the heart of Zacchaeus that, man, he, he's giving something up because ultimately Jesus has satisfied the deep needs of his heart. Jesus is providing for Zacchaeus the true meaning, significance, and security that his heart is desiring. Right? So because of that, he can now take the stuff of his life and leverage it for the good of others. Right? Not, until, not until our heart's needs for meaning, significance, and security have ultimately been met in Jesus will we truly know how to love well. Uh, we just can't. We will, we will love for what we gain in return. We will, we will give ourselves away only, only to demand something in return. Uh, when it comes down to who Jesus is and what he does, for, he satisfies the deep needs of our hearts so that we can give without desiring anything in return, right? Because ultimately, we've been given everything in Jesus. Our hearts have been satisfied in Christ. This is who he is. This is what he does for us. He meets us on the deepest uh, level of our heart's needs, and he satisfies it in profound ways, such that Zacchaeus could say, my significance no longer rides on my wealth. I'm going to give half of it away, and for anyone who I have wronged, I'm going to give fourfold back to them. In other words, he, he, he's willing to recognize his own sin. He's willing to recognize how he has been a man who's enacted injustice, oppression upon others. And he's willing to do the work to identify it, but also then to do whatever he needs to do to pay things back. He's seeking to make amends. Well, once again, like the power struggle for Zacchaeus is over. There's no need now to kind of have this sense of status and significance and power over his own people. What he's actually doing is saying, no, now I want to make right all the things that I've done wrong. That power struggle, that sense of significance, that, that pain that he has kind of worn, perhaps in the shame that others have kind of heaped on him for being a small man, an insignificant man, like you know, it, for Zacchaeus, that's where that Napoleon complex has, has, has more or less probably come from. And so he, he's not tied up into those tensions. He can actually give back to those whom he has wronged freely because once again, who he is, the meaning, the significance, the security of his life is no longer in, in those things. It's in Christ. Christ has freed him and therefore Christ has done the impossible in, in him. All right, so Jesus sees us as we are in all, of our, in all of our sin, in all of our brokenness, in all of our shame, and he never leaves us the same. Jesus wants to be the answer to our deepest heart needs. Uh, and when he becomes the answer to our deepest heart needs, man, that brings 
radical transformation. We, we see that, again, we see that throughout the Gospel of Luke. Luke, Luke is, is, is actually intending again and again to kind of um, speak to the stories of perhaps the marginalized. And in some sense, Zacchaeus was just that, culturally speaking. He was marginalized in the sense that he, he was the worst of the worst. So like all the tax collectors, the chief tax collectors, the very rich chief tax collector, well, well they're the worst of the worst. So what Luke is doing is he's given story after story, let's say of the woman you know, of the city, the prostitute who comes to tend to Jesus, to worship him. It's, it's those kind of stories. It's the story of the woman who has an, uh, um, the issue of, of blood and, and Jesus stopping all the, the crowd that's following him to, to point her out and to honor her in some sense for her faith. He's the one who's coming um, even after Jairus's daughter and healing her. He, he, he's sending out then the 12 and the 72. So it's not even just about Jesus' ministry, but how others, his disciples, are ministering. And, and so it's all about getting out to the marginalized and seeing lives transformed. And even after Jesus, you know, dies on the cross, is raised, what is he doing? He's, he, he's, he's tending to his disciples. He's tending to their faith. He's reviewing with them like how he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Constantly, consistently, Jesus is tending to his people so that they never remain the same. So folks, even when it comes to Zacchaeus, you know, we mentioned this on Sunday that, um, you know, at, at times we see a story like Zacchaeus in this radical change and think, oh man, like Zacchaeus, he doesn't have any more struggles. Well, and Jesus just completely satisfied everything. So here's this guy who was just like miraculously changed and now he doesn't have struggles. Well, that's not, that's not the story, right? Jesus did an incredible, supernatural, radical, saving work in the life of Zacchaeus. But it doesn't mean that Zacchaeus wouldn't have struggled with, with his previous issues of shame, or, or, or that he wouldn't have struggled with his temptations to strive for power and wealth and significance. It, it's not to say that Zacchaeus would have never struggled, uh, but it is to say that the radical change that Jesus brings is real and it is profound. Jesus sees us as we are, and he never intends to leave us the same. As Jesus would kind of uh, summarize it, Jesus would say, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so when it comes down to it, we're, we're, all a bit, um, we're all a bit like Zacchaeus, the impossible. We're all lost in our own ways, in our own strivings, in our, in our own shame, the things we've done that we feel shameful for, the things that have been done to us that we feel shameful about. And so it's Jesus who steps into that. He's the one who... Uh, comes to seek and save those who are lost. So, freshly marvel at Jesus, right? He, he's the one who sees us as we are in our brokenness. He comes after us. He's not appalled by us. Uh, he goes the distance for us in going to that cross, but then he never intends uh, to leave us the same. This is our Savior. I just want to say uh, it's absolutely astonishing to consider the fact that Jesus comes after us individually and man that can become such a cliche 
especially, you know, the song Reckless Love talks about the Lord going after the one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the parable of the, the shepherd leaving the 99. It can become a cliche, even though we believe it. Um, we often forget how the Lord actually pursued us personally. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think it's so important to, even right now, just rehearse the ways in your life that the Lord has personally pursued you. Think about the people that he's put in your life, the ways that they've cared for you, the ways they've loved you, the ways they've spoken into your life and invested in you, um, the ways that the Lord has known your particular struggles and then answered those things. Just rehearse those things and, and man, write them down, pray over them, praise the Lord for the, the ways that he has pursued you individually. And don't let it stop at just the the religious cliche level of just saying yeah he pursued me but not actually getting into the specifics of that um because it can just get lost if we if we just keep saying it over and over again we can we can just forget those things but it's incredible that he knows each one of us uniquely individually specifically and then he works through particular means whether it's people or the preaching of the word, um, the ministry of the church, he uses those things to minister to you individually to come after you and to save you and and not to be appalled by you, but to love you. Um, It's just absolutely amazing. And I love that you, that you titled it freshly marveling at Jesus. And, And that's one of the ways we can, we can marvel at the way that he has ministered to you. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I was thinking as you were speaking was um, just in our culture, there's such aversion to authority and absolute morality and truth. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's many people's objection to the Christian faith is that they would argue that there's no absolute moral standard. standard yeah. Um, but this story just so beautifully portrays um, Jesus not denying that absolute moral standard. Like you said, he's not, um, he's not just allowing and permitting sin to continue, but he's seeing it as it is. He's not appalled by it. He's not scared away by it, but he's stepping into that mess, and he's loving you in the middle of that. And I think that's such an important aspect of the gospel that that must be spoken boldly as we're as we're declaring the truth of the gospel to those who who would argue that that particular point. It's so important to to get to this, which is the heart of the whole gospel, is that that God's love goes beyond the fact that we are sinners. And um, so that's just another point. Like we can't get stuck on the fact that there is such a thing as sin and right and wrong. Um, don't let that stand in your way of coming to Jesus because he's seeing you in the midst of that. He's seeing you in very shameful situations. And he's saying, I still love you, and I want you to be in my family. And here's the length that I'm going to go to, that I have gone yeah. to, to bring you out of that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, you know, even on the, on the block here, you know, talking to neighbors and whatever, you know, you hear it again and again, well, you know, if you only knew what I've done. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's like that, those are the very statements um, that should cause us to lean into Jesus because 
you know, Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the weight and, and terror of our sins. He knows the pains of our shame in, in ways that, that we can't even comprehend. Like he, and, and ultimately, he, he's taken that to the cross uh, on our behalf. He understands, he understands our brokenness better than we understand it our, ourselves. Um, so those aren't reasons to you know, draw away from, from Jesus. It's actually reasons, hey, he, he actually knows these things, and he's still coming after me. He still wants me. He's, he still wants to do uh, a work in me. And so oftentimes we, we, we try to relegate the reality. We either push Jesus away because we feel we're so bad, or, or we try to say, you know, on the flip side of the coin, well, maybe I'm I'm a little better than I think I am, so I'm, I'm approved and like more acceptable. And both of those tendencies are so wrong. It's, it's important that, you know, as the saying goes, um, until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And so sometimes we're pushing Jesus away because we're denying the fact of our sins. At other times we're pushing away because we, we sense the greatness of our sins and he, could, he would never want me. And the fact of the matter is... Um, yeah, he, he wants us to acknowledge the fact, yep, we're broken, we're sinful, we've made a mess, we've, we've been agents of injustice, we've oppressed others, we've done wrong to others, others have done, done wrong to us. And Jesus alone says, hey, I can do the impossible in you. Uh, I can forgive sins, carry away your guilt, and cover you in your shame. That's the gospel, that's the beauty of who uh, Christ is. Good. All right. Uh, if there's anything that we can just kind of be praying for as we, uh, as we close out, uh, let us know. And so we're just going to be first honoring the Lord for his saving work in our lives, that he is this kind of savior, right, who comes after us. He sees us as we are. He's not appalled. He goes the distance for us, and he never leaves us the same. So uh, we just want to honor him in our own stories, in our own narratives for how he's He's come after us. And then uh, in, in just kind of prayer this morning, just felt like the Lord would have us um, pray specifically for um, our children. Children connected here uh, within our church family, children in the neighborhood, uh, maybe those listening in, those, those kids connected to you, whether it's kind of in the immediate home or, or beyond. We would just kind of pray that um, that Jesus would chase them down and not leave them as they are. I, I, my heart is just, man, that so many of these kids, um, yeah, that they, would, that they would come to faith at an early age and, and not just kind of be sidelined in their faith. Uh, you know, once, once you grow up, then you can actually serve Jesus. But that in, in childlike simplicity, that they would have hearts that say, you know, I want to honor the Lord and I want to seek after him and I want to be agents of peace and love and care uh, within this broken world. So I, I just believe, I just, I believe God does that. I, and I just, I so desperately uh, want to see it. Uh, that something, if you will, of like a, a revival would sl- sweep through the younger generation uh, and that we would see Christ magnified in and through their lives, even, even at a young age. So which one do we want to hit? All right. Again, uh, just encourage you guys, 
if you if you're able to to stop what you're doing and to to step aside from the routine to take this time to to pray over these things with us and you know maybe if maybe that requires pausing it and coming back later but uh man that's that's our desire and our heart in doing these care and prayer times is that in some way shape or form we would be able to have this prayer time together rather than you guys just listening to us so um, highly encourage you to to put a pause on life right now and uh, to have some prayer time with us Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning to freshly marvel at what you've done for us. Lord, we're so thankful. We come before you to honor you for the work, the saving work, the redeeming work, the restoring work that you've done in our lives. And uh, we just can't even express enough thanks. Man, we can't even realize the extent of what you've done at times. And so, Lord, we ask for even just a fresh understanding of the magnitude of the gospel and the, the hugeness of what you've done for us personally. And, Lord, I ask that right now you would call to mind and bring memory of specific, unique ways in our lives that you have stepped in and you've pursued us. Mm. Lord, bring those things to mind. Bring those people to mind and those circumstances, those divine encounters that we've experienced where you have stepped into our rebellion and you've shattered those walls, you've kicked down those doors, and you've gently loved us as we are and you've saved us. Lord, I pray that as we remember those things, those times, those people, those, the places where we were, Lord, help us to, to offer up praise and blessing to you for those things. Mm-hmm. Help us not to forget those things, but to testify, to remember. Lord, just like you, you called your people upon exiting Egypt to erect um, pillars of stones to remember, Lord, would you help us to, in some way in our lives, erect a, a memorial to those times and places that you've stepped in and redeemed us. Lord, again, we just thank you and we honor you for that. Thank you that you have the endless capacity to know each one of us. There's no person that slips beyond your awareness or um, is too deep or too dark to save or to know or to love but your boundless love and grace is accessible for each one of us through what you've done, Jesus. Mm. Spirit of God, I pray that you would, even through this season of weirdness and online church and social distancing, Lord, we pray that you would bring people to you for the first time. Mm. We pray that you would uh, bring about those divine encounters where people are brought to their knees as they understand their condition, their sin before a holy God, yet your love for them and your grace for them by what you've done on the cross, Jesus, and in your resurrection. Spirit of God, would you bring souls to you for the first time, Mm -hmm. regenerate them, breathe life into them, bring them into your family, give them a new name and a new identity. Jesus, we honor you and we thank you. 
Lord, we are, uh, we're just so thankful that you are the God of salvation, that you are the God of deliverance, that you are the God of redemption, that you are the God um, of regeneration, that you, you burst into our hearts and lives and you o- overhaul our hearts. You, you, you satisfy us at the deepest uh, level of our, our being. You make us alive by your spirit, make us alive to have relationship with you. And so we're, we're so grateful for your incredible grace and mercy that you have uh, shown upon us. Or that those, these are these are no small things, and probably whenever we enter eternity, we'll see in greater measure just how astounding uh, your mercy and grace was to us. When we when we see in greater measure, when we see a bit more clearly, just the eternity of consequence that you have saved us from, and the eternity of glory that you saved us to. Uh, Lord, we 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 confess that we just don't, we don't grasp the magnitude of our own salvation at times. And so God, um, even, even in the mystery of these things, even in the kind of not knowing just how lavish and incredible this grace and mercy is, we, we nonetheless wanna honor you for it, recognizing that we, were, we are not deserving <laughs> recognizing that um, in so many ways we're like kind of Zacchaeus, we're, um, we're, we're kind of, we were entrenched in, in our own ways and yet you, you came after us. We, we just wanna thank you that, that that was a profound, profound mercy. Um, so God, we honor you, we thank you for being the God of salvation, redemption, deliverance. And so uh, Jesus, thank you for uh, seeking and saving the lost. Um, and we do pray, Lord, um, we know y- your heart is for the younger generation. We know you're, you're the one who says, let the kids come unto me. Um, thank you, uh, Lord, that you, you have a, a tenderness in your heart for the younger generation. Um, and God, specifically within our context, um, where there is so many difficulties uh, for this younger generation, um, difficulties within the home, specifically, God, uh, when it comes to fatherlessness, uh, God, we 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 recognize that as something of a uh, challenge and a burden, whether the kids realize it or not. That. Um, that is missing from the home. And, and so we, we, we pray, God, for, for, for the kids who have such unique challenges. Uh, we, we pray that your grace and mercy would burst in upon their lives. God, would you raise up the church with a unique um, kind of compassion for the younger generation? Where, where perhaps at times we would the church has recoiled and said, "Oh, this this generation is 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 different. This generation is testing us. This generation is tempting us time and time again." Uh, God, would it be that there would be a Christ-like compassion, that that we would be in some sense your hands and feet um, seeking and 
pursuing those who are lost, that we might share the good news of Jesus with these kids and, and see um, those who've been born into the storm, see, see great healing and satisfaction brought to their hearts, that they would know a, a father who is unwavering in his love and in his care and, and even in the goodness of his discipline. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for who you are. And so we pray that you would get a hold of the hearts and lives, that you would impassion the church for, for, for greater works of love and, 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 and gospel proclamation to those of the younger generation. Would you do a work? Would you do a work to see? We, we pray. You're the God of revival. We pray that you would begin something of a revival even in the younger generation. Teach us something of your own mercy and grace. Uh, through them. Teach us of, of your lavish mercies, of your lavish grace. Teach us, Lord, uh, what it is, perhaps even from this younger generation, who would show us uh, something of what it is to go deep in the things of you. Um, if it's to challenge us that way, Lord, we, we invite it. Uh, let them go beyond us in so many ways. Let them go beyond us in their holiness and their pursuit of you and their faithfulness to the mission of making disciples. Let them stand on our shoulders in some small ways, but may they go well, well beyond us. Um, so God, we, we just pray that you would uh, do this, this work. Uh, we appeal to your own, your own heart uh, that you love, you love the kids and you call them to come unto you. And so, uh, Spirit of God, we pray that you would just do an incredible work in the hearts and lives of these kids. We intercede uh, on their behalf, that we would see them redeemed for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, joining in today. We'll have a little bit of worship uh, tomorrow afternoon, so you could look forward to that. Otherwise, we'll see you on Sunday. See you then.